Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. February 2022 has its first episode of the month, as Graham McMillan and I discuss the first issue of The Monkey Prince, Love Everlasting, the new wave of comic substack newsletters, including Grant Morrison and Manga Splaining Extra, Trouble in the Amazon Comic Store, the official Image Comics timeline, Made in Korea, Volume 1, Geiger, 80-page giant, number 1, Noctera, and much, much more. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, Jeff. It's great to be talking to you again, but let me just start this episode off unusually by saying, I love comics. Aww, well, I'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 this, for some reason, like, I, I ended this week, because we record Saturdays, which I think people know, but maybe they don't. Um, I ended this week being like, I love comics. Aww. I took it wrong. Like, there's, I read, I've read my fair share of shit recently as well. Mm. But, um, two, two series in particular this week started, I was like, I just really like that. Neither of them are reinventing the wheel, but I just enjoyed what they did and how they did it. And I was like, comics are great. That sounds great. Tell me more. Um, well, one of them is inevitably going to be part of a larger conversation because it's Love Everlasting, the Tom King, Elsa Charity. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but the other one is Monkey Prince, the new DC book from Gene Yang and Bernard Chang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I, like, did you read it? I did not. I did not. Um, I love it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I said on Twitter that it reminded me of Blue Devil, right? Which is a, like a very—I uh, don't know—I I reference that dates me, and a reference I think was only understandable to like a very small demographic of comic readers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess it's, so. It's it's a fun superhero comic, for want of a better way of putting it. It's a superhero comic that is not, you know, beholden to twenty-two different other books uh and is not beholden to a crossover or spinning out of another storyline uh-huh. even though it does like batman is fairly central to this first issue hmm. um but it's it's something that anyone can pick up and is completely uh understandable but understandable not just in a plot sense but also in an emotional arc sense mm, mm-hmm. you know it's an origin story where you get what's going on right it's easy to empathize with the main character um and it like i said it's just fun mm-hmm. like it, it's very you know it's not just blue devil it's also uh like there's some spider-man in there there's some static in there as well because mm. uh, it is essentially like you know anxious high schooler becomes fun loving superhero right Right. It's, it's, it's the format. And, you know, we've seen that story many times before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just done really well. And it, it's it's uh, entertaining and new enough to feel worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also just, you know, it's silly enough in a way that, that it's honestly just a joy. The cliffhanger, spoilers for everyone, but 
this does not really change anyone's reading of the first issue, is uh, Batman accidentally cuts off the Monkey Prince's head. <laughs> oh, but he's still alive. Because mm. mm. he's like, why is everything spinning? It's <laughs> his last line of dialogue. Wow. Huh. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a fun it's a fun comic. It's a fun high concept. Uh, which goes beyond what we've previously seen in the previews. You know, this is theoretically the third appearance of the character. He showed up in the the um, Asian and Pacific Islanders special from last year, and then when they announced they were doing the series, there was like a preview, like a 10-page preview or something in DC Universe. Hmm. Um, but none of them have really gotten into what the first issue high concept reveals, which is... Monkey Prince is actually the son of supervillain henchmen. And right. so for him, he's like, yeah, we just kept moving when I was a kid. I don't know why. <laughs> and then you see that like his parents are literally like henchmen to various supervillains. Wow. Uh, in the DC universe. You know, you see, I think it's, I think it's with um, Penguin. But someone's basically like, you have very good references. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is, which is just, again, silly and fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, works really well in the shared universe setting. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, mm-hmm. so when he goes, you know, I was in Central City and Opal City and Gotham City, and I don't know what happened. You know, you, you don't understand, and then all of a sudden you do. Right. Right. And you're like, oh shit, that's real. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fun. Um, and that basically ties in with like the emotional state of the main character. Who then, of course, goes through this fantastic origin and ends up as the Monkey Prince by the end of the first issue, and it's just—it's a fast, fun read. I—I I really was just like, this is a well-done superhero comic. Mm, mm. Uh, and what's what's nice is I then shared it with a nine-year-old, and was like, what do you think? Because he doesn't really dig superhero comics, right? But he does dig like superhero movies. He digs cartoons, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not really superhero comics, right? Uh, in large part because he said before, like he doesn't really like he doesn't like trade paperbacks as a format necessarily. Mm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily like the pacing of the stories, hmm. right? And so I'm like, I give him this, and I'm like, what What do you think? Mm-hmm. And he was like, It's really good. I want to read the next one. Oh wow! Okay. And I was like, Okay, like it's doing what it's supposed to. Then yeah, like it's, exactly. it's not just me. You know, mm-hmm. a, a late forties you know, fan who is nostalgic for old things mm-hmm. like this, like a nine year old is into it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh? Well, that's great. I mean, for what it's, for what it's worth, I came dangerously close to purchasing it on comiXology and reading it this evening before the podcast, uh, entirely. Well, I say entirely, almost entirely based on the good things you said about it. But then, uh, Martin Gray, who, uh, picked it up entirely on what you said. Uh, picked it up, read it, really enjoyed it. Posted a review on his blog, uh, "Too Dangerous for a Girl," and I was like, "Oh, oh, this looks really cute. Yeah, I should, I should give this a shot." But I did. But I deferred. I did not pick it up yet because um, I, I, I genuinely would highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's not reinventing the wheel, right? It's not give. It's not going to be anything you haven't seen before. But it's just doing it really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that's a joy in and of itself. I've said before, like Static, the original run of Static, like the first year of that are some of my favorite superhero comics. And mm-hmm. they're basically just Spider-Man comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, 
it's just Spider-Man comics in a way that is particularly stylish and particularly funny. Right, right. And, and this is the same, you know, in many ways, it's honestly just a remix of Spider-Man. But in a way that feels fresh and in a way that feels entertaining to me. So, yeah, I I, I, I really liked it. It really was like a, shit, this is, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, uh, oh, comics can still do this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah I, I, I really, like, I really, really, really like that. It, it was one of those, oh, I feel good about comics moments, yeah. you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and Love Everlasting, I, I, I mean, it, first of all, did you read it? I did, I did, yes. uh, What did you think? Uh, I liked it well enough. Um, I'm looking forward to reading more uh issues um mm-hmm. i feel like how do i put it um i i i thought uh elsa Charutier's work if that's sorry if, if i'm totally mangling that um was was really gorgeous and and um and fun to look at uh and and i think struck kind of a f- funny it's 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 sort of a funny fine line i think in that she her art style in this looks more like say you know classic you know darwin cook or toth influence type stuff which is not my experience of a lot of romance comics so i i thought it was very fun in a way that it was retro wrong if that makes sense which i i also think plays really super well with the idea behind the book yeah yeah um that being and and i liked both the conceit and the idea of it i think i think king writes it i i think king's writing on a panel by panel basis is really strong like i enjoyed i thought he did a really uh very strong job capturing the romance comic uh tone um but the i i just thought the pacing was off a little bit for me because i sort of felt like it was um uh i i just felt like okay i jumped to that i jumped ahead like i was like oh okay i think i know where this is going but i don't know quote unquote why and then i felt it kind of um it 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 kind of dragged at that point like it could have benefited from either being maybe about i don't know that the the, it's uh, for for those listening who are listening to me babble uh i should say that love everlasting um all but sort of presents itself as being a romance comic in the sort of classic tradition of romance comics which is to say it appears to be an anthology um, book with uh, three stories, I guess, or four stories, three it, stories. Yes, it's four. It's four. It is you four. Have, right. I, it's a cheat, right? Because yeah. it's it's three and a one-page cliffhanger. Ah, oh, thank you. Right. Okay, I forgot about the one-page cliffhanger. So yes, and the the idea being that the um, all told from the first-person point of view with captions, and uh, it the heroine from the first story 
the heroine in the second story has her same name and appearance, but a completely different setting. But of course, at a certain point, she remembers her husband slash lover, who's the her romantic interest in the first story. And by the time you get to the third story, which takes place further back in time, um, she is uh, basically confused, conflicted, and and clearly trapped in something beyond understanding within the format of the romance comic and i uh, i like that but i also feel like how do i put it i feel like the the at a certain point because king i think gives the game pretty early uh, away pretty early in the, the second story which yes. is great but then i also didn't feel like it progressed much um, so, so on the one hand, as a, as a 25 page, beautiful looking free comic that was really well crafted, I, I very much enjoyed it. It was really worth my time. Um, but I also found myself being like, good, not great or something, you know what I mean? Like it needs, it, it, uh, maybe issue two will come along and complete me, completely prove me wrong. But I felt like by the time we got to the end of issue one, it's like, okay, he better have a spin. Cause I feel like he kind of, kind of quickly rode this into the ground in the first issue. Oh, interesting. See, I, I don't feel that he rode into the ground at all, but w one of the things that it's not even necessarily a complaint uh, because I I very much enjoyed the first issue, like like I I said, like I it really I I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought the the tweaking of the convention, even outside of like the central conceit, mm -hmm. is fun. I, I I like the way they play with the format, even beyond the idea that like Joan is trapped in this repeating cycle of romance stories, mm -hmm. is fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, Alice's art, like you said, is great. It's like there's some Toth, there's some Cook. There's some Jaime Hernandez in there, which is super fun. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's it's a beautiful looking book. Weirdly enough, I almost feel like a strong type of art for these stories. Mm. I feel like these stories should be more Nick Cardi or Dick Giordano. No, exactly what I mean. Yeah, exactly. It's um, retro, but it's retro wrong, which is really yeah. fun. But yeah, you almost need, I mean, that feeling of like, oh, Vince Coletta's, you know inking this, you know, kind of Yeah, thing. for one of a better way of putting it, the inks are too thick. Yeah, yeah. You know? You know? Um, but what was... Because I... I didn't know the the high concept going into it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I pretty much read it without knowing anything about it, other than, like, I know the creators, I know it's a romance comic, quote-unquote, with a twist. Right. Um, and I liked that it felt... Uh, when you start because you do start in as you said in the second story in this quote-unquote anthology issue very early getting the weight yeah. something you know like like king plays his hand really early mm -hmm. um it felt like an adult swim short mm. right <laughs> and then by the time you get to the third one and you get the the repeated cycle really quickly right right you get like one panel repeating like every second panel basically Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and it's incomplete as well. Like mm -hmm. you get the narrative caption bits, which is just start the narrative caption repeating. Um, it reminded me more than anything of like the first few episodes of Westworld, HBO Westworld. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can definitely feel the things this is pulling from. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in a way that like I see Adult Swim and Westworld as, as touchstones much more than the things that the creators themselves are talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, like literally in the pitch, I don't know if you're, I don't know how much of the Substack you subscribe to, mm-hmm. or how much you saw for that matter, but um, they shared uh, King's original pitch for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he references Sandman and Walking Dead. And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> like, maybe we'll see more of that down the line, but this first issue mm-hmm. felt much more um, Westworldy to me. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like someone is awakening from, for all intents and purposes, being forced to play out other people's scenarios continually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I liked about it, though, is it's really funny. I think it's a funny book. And I think that the last page in the quote-unquote cliffhanger was fucking hilarious. Mm, in mm-hmm. a way that, honestly, like, I don't think King's work is normally funny in that way. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the, a part of that is, is brought from, I also read the last issue of his Superman, uh, Supergirl, rather. Uh-huh. Um, which ends in a far more bleak way than I was expecting. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Far more bleak hmm. than I was expecting. And and I was like, oh boy, wow! And then I read Love Everlasting really soon after, like maybe a day later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do just think the end of the, of the first issue of that is really fucking funny. Mm. Uh, in a way that made me go, maybe this is going to be more of a comic book, no pun intended, but like a comedy book, right? Right. Uh, more than just uh, like an angst-ridden book or an existential angst book. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. also going to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, maybe I, I, I will see how things go on. Go uh, for the most part. Um, I can see where there would be plenty of room to amplify that. One of the things that I liked about this first issue is that it sort of that it that it played the romance stories the setups and the pitches themselves. Relatively straight. Exactly. And I and I actually appreciated that. I thought that was more I guess brave and inspired, I suppose, in a way. Um I am I'll be curious is to see where it goes one thing that i that is that i hope that they do that i didn't notice here that i think could be um really relevant to what they're doing is i saw someone on twitter just this week and god help me i don't remember who it is and i hate saying it out loud because i'll probably have to search for endless hours while putting together the show notes but someone was talking about how and I did not realize this that with the romance comics they would literally update them by drawing new hairstyles over the yes. people and changing the mm-hmm. dialogue but keeping the story exactly the same and mm-hmm. they had examples of this where it was like they totally changed this person's fashion they totally left that fashion alone so I think I hope I think it would be really fun to see um, to play with that element of it right, as well. exactly. Yeah, where it's like now that we've got the groundwork of you know the iconography of three different stories, you could maybe you know the the creators could could literally 
update their own panels and of course you've got a protagonist in them that that is literally the same person who is trapped in that so i think that could be very I, fun. I, something i'm really curious about is king and charity both say that this is an ongoing series and i don't understand how that could be true uh-huh well it feels like it feels so like a finite story that oh that's true I, yeah like yeah, i'm yeah. super curious how it could be an ongoing series right, right do you know what i mean like especially at the rate it's going by mm-hmm. the end of the first issue joan knows what's going on mm-hmm. she might not know why it's going on right but she knows what's happening to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know one of the things that it's so funny about that last page is that not only has she realized that she's also exhausted by it Mm-hmm. Right? There's something really funny about the, her looking in the mirror and just being like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that being the end of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going at that rate, how is this an ongoing series? Like, where do you go with next? That's uh, exciting and confounding to me. Yes, right. Agreed. Right. Because part of me is just like, you. okay, you've got to have like a, a, another twist. Mm-hmm. At least, right? Oh, many, um, many more, yeah. I think but so. here's here's another uh, comparison, media comparison to it. Uh, the fact that they are talking about it as an ongoing mm-hmm. made me think, like, is this like a good place scenario where you think you know the twist and then they get there sooner and it's because they have like seven more twists? Than one? Yeah, I sort of half think so. I, I That would make sense to me. Um, also, as long as you're talking media influences, the thing that's weird is I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But how does it line up with WandaVision, which I think would be kind of funny in a way? Um, how does it line up with WandaVision? It's uh, totally different. <laughs> okay, so you don't have uh, a protagonist that's in a sort of different I, I, format I feel, that's I feel... the same? For want of a better way of putting it, I feel this... Uh, Love Everlasting is both more and less arch. I feel that One Division didn't really do anything with the idea of we're recreating so, uh, sitcoms from different eras. Mm-hmm. Like it was there, and it was a stylistic choice, and they made a lot about uh, out about it in the uh, promotional material, right? Sure, but there's no reason for it in the story, mm-hmm. right? And characters outside the the quote-unquote show comment on it. But again, there's no reason. The reason reason the explanation is given is Wanda watched old sitcoms when she was a kid. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Well, okay, but you – so you don't – But I I would argue that like they also don't really do anything with it in the show, right? They don't use the the sitcoms as any sort of metatextual exploration of – the larger themes of one division are even those sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I, I strongly suspect just knowing who the creators are in this, <laughs> that there is going to be some attempt at deconstructing the romance genre. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just also think considering one of the creators on this, I think it would be for myself. I'm like, well, don't you think that someone watching a show loosely based on their graphic novel might watch the show and be like, wow, it's a shame they really didn't take anything with this angle and then really well, run with it? Uh, it's possible based on the, the other emails from the Substack. 
the timing doesn't line up. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, because apparently, hang on, I'll look right now. Um, apparently, this came about in like 20... Oh, no, no, it's just in late 2020, so I guess that's WandaVision time, right? Mm, I, I guess so. Or was WandaVision so. early 2021? Yeah, well, I guess WandaVision was early 2021. Mm. So I guess it technically predates WandaVision. Okay, okay. Well, um, but again, we'll see, right? Because it's right. just coming out now. So maybe the idea predated one division, and then the, you know the actual execution of the first issue came long after. Who knows? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. It's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. I, I am not really drawing a lot of influence there. Mm-hmm. I would be really curious to see them talk about it. Mm. Yeah, um, definitely. But honestly, like my read of this is also colored in, you know. My disappointment in one division. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that was. That came through, Graham, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I'm glad. <laughs> I feel we should pivot from this to talk about all the Substack stuff. Oh, sure. That sounds very good. Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I want to ask so, so for some context, Love Everlasting is one of the new, the six new Substacks that were announced this past week. Um, it's Love Everlasting, which is King and Elsa Charity. There is uh, Carrie Randolph is doing one. Uh, Jen Bartel is doing one. Manga Splaining the podcast has has something called Manga Splaining Extra, mm-hmm. which is part manga journalism, part actual manga. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is shit. Help me out here. There's Grant Morrison's, which I want to talk about. Right. And there's also who was the other one? I don't know. Jeff, gotta... help me here. Dude, I was I I was kind of like I oh, know about uh, two Brian, of them. Brian Kevon and and Nico Henriksen is the oh, other one. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Um and and they were all announced on Monday. It was uh, called Comics Day on Substack was the promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh and that was announced at the same time as a bunch of the you know, quote unquote first generation Substack comics people dropped projects. So, like, uh, James Tynan launched a new comic mm-hmm. on his Substack. There was a new comic on Three Worlds, Three Moons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Thompson dropped a comic. Right. Chip Zdarsky dropped a comic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so all of a sudden it seemed as if... I think Donny Cates, although I'm not signed up for his, I think Donny Cates also dropped a comic. Um, but it was basically a promotion of, like, hey, remember us? We're, we're still doing stuff. Right. Um, and as such, you know, it was relatively successful, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it definitely got a lot of people talking. Um, the Tom King one did. The Morrison one did. Surprisingly, I don't feel that like many people talked about the Brian K. Vaughan one, which is kind of shocking considering, you know, Saga the previous week. Mm-hmm. Was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misreading things. Um, did you sign up for Morrison's is my question. Like, I... No, uh, no. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> oh, Jeff. 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 Okay. Let me tell you. Please. People. <laughs> Graham Morrison has a substack, and Graham Morrison's first substack post, or second, because the first one is just like, something's coming soon here, and the second one's like the official first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the official first one is, do you remember when he was when they were promoting The Filth? And Morrison did something called Crack Comics, which was like stream of consciousness, weird, like blogging that also felt like the rantings of a madman. Uh, vaguely, yeah, I think okay. I do remember so, that. So, mm-hmm. uh, their their Substack is called Xanadoom. 
uh, and and that's that's what they announced, right? You know, mm-hmm. Zenitum, that's what we're doing. It, it's it's this thing. It's going to be really exciting, and it's absolutely fucking nuts. Like the first one is genuinely, you know, over the top crazy. Okay, the first newsletter, the first newsletter. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. like genuinely. Uh, so, for example, here is how it ends. Are you ready? I I hope so. Under the headline, subscribe or die trying, in all caps, <laughs> it says, it's that simple, Effendi. If this opening salvo has triggered in you some inexplicable craving for more, then do the sign-up now, 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 today, and tell all your friends, and indeed any suspicious-looking strangers you may encounter, that Xanadoom is 2022's hottest ticket. Remember, this is your forbidding mansion of broken dreams. This is your final resting place, too. Without you, Xanadoom is simply Xanadum, and that won't do, so let's build the sucker. For if we build it, they will come and come again, and again until no come remains. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, and it goes on. Uh, oh, God. You know, everyone else is doing it. Be like the winning team and subscribe is one of the things. But but they say in the first one, like, you know, I, I, I was I, I basically being like I've been nostalgic and I've been looking back at my past. And I, I uh, what did you say? Faced with a monstrous threatening archive of unseen drawings, photographs, rare recordings and unpublished writings. It struck me there had to be a way to make all that past current again to give it a fresh creative context and a jolt of new life. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me I could perhaps use the debris to build something uh, like Fracture Cheval and his surrealist palace assembled from junk, seashells and good intentions. Then long came Nick Spencer and Substack offering me a rare opportunity to do just that and get paid for having fun. Okay. Right. Calls it, uh, they call, sorry, they call it Xanadum and Ephemeral Stronghold, a serious house on ludicrous earth. <laughs> okay. So that's Monday they send out. On Wednesday, they send out the first two pages of Xanadum, which is going to be 24 pages of creepy sci-fi with a few twists up its twists. <laughs> and let me tell you, the spirit of 1980s zines lives in this in a way that I haven't seen since 1980s scenes. <laughs> For real, it's literally like a poison pen letter. It's it's like Morrison's clearly just printed shit out and then stuck it on the page. Mm. It's kind of amazing. It's also just sort of shocking that it exists. I can only imagine what people who know Morrison primarily through their DC work mm-hmm. will have made of it. Wow. Because it's it's... I said something in the newsletter on, on Monday along the lines of, you know, I'm hoping for ambitious navel-gazing from Morrison. That's and, really oh, funny. Why did I get it? <laughs> oh, shit, did I get it? Because it's, I mean, it's genuinely wacky and nuts. Uh, have you ever read Morrison and Danny Valley's Bible John? I don't even not. know what Morrison, <laughs> Danny Valley's Bible John is. It sounds it sounds really familiar, but I'm not placing it. One of the things I've reread lately is um, the infamous last Alan Moore interview from 2014. Do you remember that? I think so. Yeah, it's, it's the one where Moore, where uh, Moore basically goes after Morrison. Right. I guess. Remember and like it's it's like it's, yeah. He's like it's curmudgeonly. Person... It's a curmudgeonly in a way that, like, the traditionally curmudgeonly Moore is normally not that meanly curmudgeonly. Mm. Uh, but in there, they 
the Moore basically says, like, every time I announce a project, Morrison comes along with his shit version first. <laughs> I, because my work takes time and they, they just rush something into print to make it look like they're being original. Mm. And he, Moore basically says, I announced I'm doing From Hell, and then Morrison does Bible John. Except he doesn't name Bible John. He doesn't name any of the comics, which is what makes it funny. Because Moore's doing, doing his, like, I don't really, like, you know, other people have told me, and then knows like, you know, explicit detail that he has read it. Um, but Bible John ran in Crisis, the, the 2008 spinoff in the 80s and 90s. And it is uh, Morrison doing... I mean, it's not really ripped off of Moore at all. It's kind of ripped off of Ian Sinclair, though. Mm. Um, which sort of makes sci- sense because it's what Moore was ripping off from From Hell as right. well. So, okay, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but it, it's sort of Morrison doing a, a psychogeographic exploration about the history of a Scottish serial killer called Bible John, mm-hmm. hmm. and it is presented in the form of uh, imagine if Dave McKean had done a series of Sandman covers and then someone had come along with a newspaper and cut lines out of it and accidentally dropped it on the pages and they stuck. Wow. Okay? That's yeah. the visual style of it. And that's what the Sanadum is. Mm. Hmm. Like, it's, it's, it genuinely looks like, you know, a zine from, like, 1989. Uh, in a way that, honestly, is, is at once nostalgic and incredibly refreshing. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. You know? It's like the spirit of C90 lives on in Grant Morrison, clearly. <laughs> um, but it, like I said, it's, it's, it is this like weirdly singular navel-gazing that I am 100% here for. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, that's what I want people to do with their Substack money. Right. So you know I mean? Take the fucking money and run. I should say Morrison then sent out on Friday um, a, a sort of – listing of the seven things the seven quote-unquote mansions in xanadum i.e plans of what they're going to do with it mm-hmm. as a newsletter and i am fucking here for it <laughs> um here are the seven okay number one is the lab here is where new comics work is conceived and executed and where you can peer into the mills of the creative process from commencement to conclusion fine that's what everyone's doing with their substack right Two, the studio. Search here for rare recordings and live musical performances. Three, the salon. The salon will play host to exclusive interviews with pop culture movers, shakers, quakers, and bakers. Writers and artists, movie makers, actors, activists, from the alternative to the mainstream and everywhere in between. Four, the gallery. The gallery contains photographs, unseen artwork, sketchbook pages, character designs, rare thumbnails, and more. Five, the library. Here are collected travel diaries, spoken word transcripts, rare short stories, and unfinished novel sections, super gods outtakes, etc. Mm. Six, the temple. The temple gathered practical magic techniques and occult musings initiation never ends. And seven, the theater. The theater collects rare video footage, TV interviews, band performances, and the backstage records of cons and rock shows. Hmm. I'm fucking here for this. Right. Right. Like yeah. I really have nothing else. Super God's outtakes has me. Uh, I don't know if this is. I, a. I don't know if this is real, and B. I don't know if this is public knowledge. But I have been told by more than one person that the review copies of Super God's and the copies of Super God's that saw print are basically different books. Wow. Really. 
because apparently the book was significantly reworked and reworked in a way to make it far less salacious Ooh. between review copy and, and actual release. Interesting. So the idea of supercuts outtakes. Right. You're like, tell me more. Yeah, I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Please tell me more. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Very into it. So yeah, so so Morrison's uh subsec looks like again, so self indulgent to be for someone who's a Morrison fan, unmissable. <laughs> but also in because of that because of that kind of feels like the right use of Substack for one of a better way of putting it. Mm. Hmm. Like if you can't be self indulgent when someone is giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars like to do whatever you want for a year, then when can you be self indulgent? Spoken like a true seventies filmmaker, Graham, I have to say. <laughs> exactly. Like I am, yes. <laughs> My, my true self. Indeed. Indeed. The you on the inside. Um, so, and that is, I, uh, so I will say that I signed up for the free version of Tom King's newsletter. Uh, yes. Because it will include all the issues of the comic. Uh, uh, I saw someone else this week say it's only the first four. I don't know if that's true or not. Because uh, like, my understanding was it was all of them. Yeah, that's kind of how he made it sound in his little in, in, introductory in the spiel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. So. Yeah. And I saw someone else say the first four, and I was like, oh, okay. Right, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be curious. Maybe they will change things up after four, and it will no longer will be free. But uh, is Morrison's... Is fifty dollars a year, and there's a is there all for the all for the inside of Xanadoom as opposed to? I have I have no idea. I I have yet to see Morrison talk about what is paid and what is not. I see. Like Love Everlasting is actually fairly upfront about what you get paid versus what you get done. They've oh, even very much so. Graphics mm-hmm. about that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Morrison, I genuinely don't know what is free and what isn't. Uh, I know that I have only signed up for the free one of Morrison. Mm. I see. So oh, okay. I don't know what I'm missing. I literally don't know what I'm missing. Right. Well, that one would hope that he would let you know, or they would let you know. Sorry. <laughs> it, well, in large part because Morrison's is also really expensive. Uh, right. It's right? $100 a year. Wow. So it's twice as expensive as, well, twice approximately. I So um, I actually did plunk down hard money for my first ever Substack, which is the manga splaining. Yeah, I, I I knew you'd sign up for that one. It's yeah. honestly for anyone who likes manga, I don't get why you wouldn't sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, just the fact that I was like, oh, I think that's very cool. Um, you know, it's not all of the manga splaining crew, which would be like super amazing if it was but i very much respect uh deb aoki and christopher butcher although i think he and his husband are both using hyphenated names and i apologize for not having that at my fingertips but um you know the three of them are in the process of it even started i think I think this Thursday or Friday I got the first installment I, yeah, of the manga they're publishing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's um it's Chris Woodrow Butcher and Andrew Woodrow Butcher. Thank you. Yeah. Um so uh I I am I'm like, ooh, 
Mungo sent right to my inbox. That is so very much up my alley. And it's funny, I posted about it and someone was like, oh, great, we're giving more money to Substack, yay. I was like, oh, shit. God, that's right. I totally forgot. You're like, I, I just realized what the platform is. <laughs> yeah. I kind of had that thing of like, oh, right. We never really cleared that up. Well, that's great. Terrific. So I can't imagine that I can write them and be like, sorry, I, I think I should get a refund, please. So it's, yeah. I, I, I'm I very excited to continue to contribute to <sighs> whatever the unconscious capital consumerism, but uh, but at the same time, also very excited to participate. But uh, but also like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a, a less cynical way of saying like you know good luck buying anything from any any company that is not. I know, okay. I know. That's why you're the sunny, optimistic one, and I'm I exactly as layered that's, as the that's why pessimist. I'm the one who's like, "Well, what are you gonna do?" Yeah, exactly. Well, Dive right in, true believers. Woo! Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. And and I had those glorious moments until someone uh, until someone uh, who follows me on Twitter pointed that out, and I was like, "Oh, the pain." This is so. when I remind you that my newsletter is not on Substack, everyone. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Why couldn't they just go that route? But of course, you're not charging money uh, but yet. I, yeah, I mean, I will be. But um, it, why didn't they go that route? Because Substack gave Mangosplaining a lot of money to do this, Jeff. They're not oh, doing yeah. it out of the goodness of their heart. No, it's a Substack pro thing. That's why I'm, they're doing it. I'm aware. I'm, I am aware. I know, why they're, I know why they're on Substack. I know, yes, it was a rhetorical, ah, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, and again, I, I think it's I, I think there's angles of it that are very cool. It's just very... It, uh, sometimes it feels like comics, uh, no matter how much we're like, comic sales is a fort, you know, in the North America is, you know, up 21% this year, and it's now, uh, whatever that means, $3.5 billion industry, you know, feel free to correct me. But... It still feels like such small potatoes in the main media. Like people are still losing their mind over Spotify and Joe Rogan. And I'm like, oh, boy, it's a good thing they don't know shit about Substack. You know what I mean? Or, or, <laughs> or even, and this is, this is a thing that I will tell you, even though you know about, because the listeners do not. Um, there was another uh, email sent out from Amazon and Comixology that oh, really yeah. makes it sound like uh, the changeover, the, the the end is super nigh for the Comixology website. Um, the fact. Oh, that... yeah. No, I, I actually thought it happened this week based on that email. Yeah, right? So just the fact they didn't give any actual dates, but in the FAQ, they're kind of like, yeah, any pre-orders past February 17th, you're going to have to reorder or something like that. I was like, okay, well, that's that's kind of a really good rule of thumb. I think chances are good that, uh, you know, you're not, <laughs> that if it's we, not, we know when it's, we know when it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where it'll be deeply, it might happen sooner, but it certainly doesn't seem like it will be happening later than that date. Uh, and so I was like, fuck, okay, well, this is going to be a thing. I better get used to it. So they had a link to the Amazon comics page, you know, like it, get comfortable with our storefront here i'm like okay i was like please god let's hope that they've made changes 
since. Um, and and they have not, or at least not that I saw. I'm like, Jesus, oh, this is not, I don't like this layout. I don't like this is how this is done. I don't like the search pages. And, you know, they've got a couple of different ways, you know, to see the new comics, but they really kind of like a good comic store. Uh, they make you walk to the bottom of the page or the back of the store to, to get to sort of the all new releases button, which I click on and there under all new releases is a uh, mouse, uh, volume one, um, being promoted as a new release. And I'm like, Oh, that's, very uh cool and i didn't even know that it had a digital release it sort of makes sense and kind of smart that they uh dashed it off into digital print considering you know it's literally getting banned like people are buying copies to to stand up against it being banned in i think texas i don't even remember anymore um, and then I looked more closely, and the author was listed as Ashvin Thakor. And I'm like, oh, shit. And it's $4.99. And it's not the the traditional cover. I'm like, oh, fuck. Somebody has put a bootleg version of Mouse on the Amazon store. And Amazon is, you know, like, oh, yeah. It's promoting it. Yeah, is promoting it as like this is a new release. This is this is a thing that you should get and you should pick up. And the reviews are like, don't buy this. It's a scam. It's photo, you know, quickly photocopied PDFs of poor quality. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So it was up there. It finally came down, which is great. Like as far as I know, last time I looked, it was gone. But it was it was it was like three days and i don't think if you hadn't retweeted me tweeting to pantheon books being like you guys should really do something about this um i don't know that it ever would have and this and this is the thing that i think is kind of crazy is is like imagine if you and i went to amazon prime video to like rent something right and we're like oh it's Spider-Man No Way Home. I want to rent that. I want to watch that movie. And it's some guy holding a shaky handheld camera yeah. from the back of the theater. And Amazon's like, no, rent this. It's it's the top promoted book. I mean, I don't mean to flog a dead horse, but it's Art Spiegelman's mouse. You know what I mean? Like, this is like the cornerstone of the comics aren't for kids wave of the 80s along like dark knight returns and watchmen and and somebody with a ton of balls throws it up there and not even in a period where it's been forgotten mouse is in the forefront of the headlines for being censored mm -hmm. and amazon cannot tell the difference between what is real and what is fake and and frankly did not give a shit um and that is amazing to me because if nothing else, you just can't see that really happening in comicsology because there were just too many things in place to prevent that happening, you know, and I am 
fascinated and I am terrified. And I'm also, I have to say, I'm also indignant that, that no one really paid attention apart from me, Graham, because you're my friend. But what the fuck, people? Like, that's that real to me really is a thing of like, oh, man, you guys just don't. Like, it's that idea of, like, comics are still for suckers and rubes as far as Amazon's concerned. And that, to me, considering it was one of the, you know, the apex of graphic literature is a lot of people who don't even necessarily are invested in the field define it as. And it's still got that kind of bullshit. Really... Um, well, at, but also like that it got that kind of bullshit at a time when like everyone's talking about it, right? Like right. it is one of the top selling books on Amazon right now. Yeah, yeah. By exactly. by which I mean like the actual real print edition. Yeah, like the the official from the real publisher edition in print is one of the top selling books on Amazon. Yeah, and the idea that they could not catch a bootleg version, yeah. and instead promoted it. Yeah. is kind of nuts. Yeah, yeah, I I think so too. So I sort of feel like that again with you know, I because you're the sunny optimist and I am not. I'm very much like, oh, this is that 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 just bodes really poorly. I mean, and I say that because I can't draw. Um, because if I could, I'd be fucking publishing Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Uh, direct through Amazon, you know, every month. I mean, like, it's really kind of like, wow. And it, it makes sense because of all the various things. It's amazing how many hoops people had to jump through at Comixology I, I... Submit. And as you know, the e-publishing format through Amazon is just kind of like, sure, whatever, squeeze the product through the tube. If it fits through the tube, congratulations, you've got to put Yeah, but I, I've got to be honest. I think that if it had been like, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, a comics publisher's property, it would have been done much faster because I think they would have noticed. I mean, you would think. I mean, no, for me, I, like, I, if it had been Marvel or DC, I don't think it, like, I think it would have been gone almost immediately. I think so too. I think, and so I, too. but I think it's because it's it's a mainstream book publisher. Well, it, honestly, it's, it's just not checking for this shit. It's it's two things I think in that sense of the because the other thing is, and, and this because you're absolutely right because the big two are very devoted comics publishers. And or, for the most part, they own or have um, publishing contracts. Like, nobody, as far as I know of, really is enough of a 900-pound gorilla to say, I don't want a digital copy of my book. It can only be in print. But that is um, something that uh, old What's-His-Doodle, um, 20th Century Boys and Monster uh, has continued to insist on. Yeah. And that's something that Art Spiegelman's insisted on. So there is a vulnerability there. And that's the thing that I think is kind of insane is I don't know if Drawn and Quarterly has someone that is going to want to spend their mornings getting up and perusing Amazon to make sure that, um, you know, one of the, one of their books that only exists in a physical print edition hasn't crept onto the charts and is getting... Um, you know, uh, profiteering, but I don't think they're going to get those protections from Amazon. So it's kind of wild. 
it's kind of kind of wild and weird but i thought that that was a notable news story that, that, that as far as i know you know not a lot of people knew about or apparently cared about apart from me because i lost my fucking mind on it people were like hmm, yeah so anyway <laughs> um like, shall we talk about the other news story that to my money still isn't a story yet but is at the same time a really big story. Oh, right. Yeah, you've you actually sort of teased that in your newsletter, right? So, so Rich announced it. This is something that like I've known about and you've known about because I talked to you about it last week. Yes. Mm. Um, off recording. Mm-hmm. Um, Image Comics is being investigated by the National Labor Relations Board yeah. over um, interfering in the election for the Image Union. That's right. Um, this came about because. Someone from The Stranger, the, the, the alternative newspaper, um, filed a Freedom of Information Act request about it. Right. And the, the response was basically like, you're not you, – like, we'll tell you that there's an investigation and we'll sh- show you the letters we sent uh, basically to the attorneys on both sides. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, we're not telling you fucking anything until the matter is resolved. The matter is right. due to be resolved at the end of February according to their projection. Mm-hmm. Um and so to my mind, when I talked to you last week, you remember, I was like, it's not a story until someone can say something. Right. And then, of course, Rich being rich is like, holy shit, look what I just found out. <laughs> um, which is funny. But also, like, he's not wrong. This is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Im- images images is being accused of, of interfering. I'm, I'm very curious what the interference will end up being. Um, and I'm also very curious what Image is going to say in response. Because one of the things that happened at the, I think it was the very start of this year, or at the very end of last year, uh-huh. um, was that Jim Valentino removed the people who had signed a public letter of support to the union yeah. from the production credits of one of his books, or maybe a, a number of his books, definitely from some book. Yeah. Um, he'd removed their names. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, you know, this was seen as his uh his clear disapproval shall we say mm-hmm. um of of the the election and, and the idea of unionizing um but i'm thinking about this and jeff i you you're not a lawyer but yes. you are an a who works in a law firm and mm-hmm. b you are also someone who is smart about this in a way that i am not mm-hmm. Can Image get away by basically doing the, well, we're not responsible for any of the content we publish, we just publish it defense? Which is what they've always done when it's come to, like, calls for censorship or calls for, you know, basically Image publishes anything controversial. And you will get a statement from the publisher basically being like, we are anti-censorship, but also we are not responsible for anything we publish. We are basically a studio and a, a, a vanity publishing house. Right. Well, right. Do you think the legal defense here? Because the the complication is that Valentino is one of the founders and publishers of Image. Right. Right. He's one of the partners. Yeah. So, like, would that would that count? But also, I don't know. I just I feel that this, depending on what the the actual accusations are, mm-hmm. and depending on what the defenses are, I think this might actually be a big deal for Image beyond the union thing. Mm-hmm. Because I'm wondering if we're going to basically see like a legal argument that image can't use that defense anymore. 
that the image is in fact responsible for everything that it publishes. Uh, well, so I would say no. Um, and again, it's worth saying that if you are comfortable taking medical advice from the from receptionist to a doctor in yeah, your no, no the know, receptionist know, in your doctor's office then you should be comfortable accepting legal advice from me i'm i'm in no way a lawyer these things pass back and <laughs> forth there's so many things it'd be wonderful to to have one of our various the surprising number of comics and comics related critic type people who are lawyers um come on i am planning on reaching out to some some uh legal people i know to to try and get something on this before the before i report on it right because i'm i'm convinced there's complications that i literally would have no idea about right so but the the way that i understand it when it breaks down is image has as a publisher certain responsibilities or not um and I think generally those responsibilities, despite what they say, you know, are legally covered under, like, for example, what, the First Amendment. So they, they're like, we can publish this stuff, there's freedom of speech. People may say, hey, I hate that you published this Howard Chaikin book, and Image is kind of like... You know, sort of what they're doing is they are morally washing their hands of it. You know, they're saying, like, we're just a studio. We're not really yeah, no, no, exactly. responsible yeah. for the content. But that, but they're saying they're not saying that legally. Like, if someone was legally trying to sue them, what they would do is they would step on much stronger legal ground, which is the First Amendment, suck it, right? So... So there is – so that's a – that is a very different – like the prevarications that, that Image has done in the past has been very much so that they can continue to, as with so many industries these days, present themselves simultaneously as, you know, a um, scion of progressive values while peddling – um, conservative values, you know? So where the lawsuit, I would think, comes in is the idea that Valentino, as publisher, what he did was an action that was taken against the employees who voted to unionize by removing their names from the books. And so... In a way, it doesn't necessarily have to do with with the publishing slash publication angle any more than it would be like if, let's say, they all met at the offices, there were lockers for all the employees, and then the employees came in one morning and everyone who'd signed the letter to unionize, their lockers had been taken away. And there were just two or three lockers. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not necessarily uh, the 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 emphasis that that I assume they're investigating is the idea that there was retaliation involved from this, and there was an attempt to interfere with the union in the extent of having people. 
it's it's one thing where like Amazon spends just shit tons of money on this and w- does all sorts of unbelievably nasty vile stuff to get people who are trying to unionize out and away but they also go to great lengths to make sure that what they are doing is quote unquote legal under the law so they try very hard to avoid doing anything that looks like you know they send messages like it would be better if you don't unionize because at, yeah. Because if you start moving into the realms of people who vote for unionizing are going to have a very uncomfortable time working here, you know, is a veiled threat. And essentially, Jim I mean, Valentino, almost right? Almost veiled. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's depending on how you your definition of veil and threat. Yeah, absolutely. So what Valentino did and who knows, there could be other things going on in this investigation. There could well have been emails or things sent like, you know, maybe Eric Stevenson called each of the employees into his office and sat them down and said, like, hey, you know, are you sure you really want to do this? Like, we're all one big family here. And if you start da 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 dying. So we don't know. I think the easiest thing, as Rich pointed to and, and other people have mentioned, Valentino pulled um, the names of the employees who signed those letters off of the credits from his books. And that is, uh, I suspect that what's going to happen, I assume, I could be wrong, is um, there will be an apology if, if images attorneys are at all good um that apology is going to be made to those 10 employees there may or may not be some kind of restitution there will be an official statement crafted that makes it sound like it was all one big misunderstanding and they can move along to the next thing so could be wrong but that seems that's traditionally the path of because there's not necessarily a super huge, you know, for one thing, image unionized anyway. Like those workers did unionize. So yeah. the the damages position is a little shakier for them if they were to try and, you know, keep yeah, they moving can't really, these they can't really argue that he had, I think credible effect like right impact exactly if, i mean like, they're they're still they, they still did yeah there's still intention there's still the potential that that image is going to have to deal with some sort of you know fines or something um again don't really know but that is my that that is the understanding of the lay of the land and if there's any and i mean literally graham any justice in this world as part of that settlement, Jim Valentino will have to perfect 100% compensate anyone who bought the image timeline off the stands this week <laughs> oh my for God. the I full say, amount of money. Gonna, how are we going to pivot from yeah. this story to uh, to the image timeline? Uh, folks, let me tell you, 
Uh, Jeff, can I please uh, share what you said to me about the image timeline? Oh, man, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so uh, people may or may not know this. Image uh, it actually celebrated the 30th anniversary this week. February 1st was the first date that all of the founders got together and basically decided to form Image, uh, February 1st, 1992. To celebrate that, uh, Image uh, released – I'm going to say Image released – Jim Valentino uh, put out the official image timeline this week, which is a 64-odd page um, timeline, as as it says, of mm-hmm. of the history of image comics. Um, I... I got uh, I got a pre-release version, and last week when Jeff and I were talking, we weren't recording, I was more or less like, oh, shit, this is... This is this is a staggering this is a staggering release. Yeah. I can't believe people are going to pay money for it. Right. And Jeff then read it himself when it yep. came out. And let me just share the bits <laughs> I got on Twitter from him. Man. That image timeline may be one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen passed off as a professional product. That's mm-hmm. it. He didn't have to put any more context. Yeah. Yeah. That image timeline may be one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen passed off as a professional product. Let me, dear listeners, let me just share some of the things that are wrong with it. <laughs> Thing number one, the design is so bad oh my that God. anyone who considers themselves interested in graphic design, I almost want to tell you to spend the $8 to buy it mm-hmm. to see an example of what not to do. Yeah. Thing number two, uh, in the layout of this, no one apparently proofread afterwards because there are multiple errors of so many different types. Tom, oh my god, it's spelled. Um, literally, text from one page will reappear in another page, or in one case, text just doesn't finish. They just get to the end of the page, and it just the sentence doesn't stop. Um, <laughs> Fans of Batman Year One may be happy to know that it doesn't exist in Jim Valentino's mind. Yes. Spawn Batman is Frank Miller's return to Batman after 1986's Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Oh my god. Who knew that? Um, It is, shall we say, selective in what it chooses to include. And I don't even mean that in the sense of, like, it's all a puff piece. I mean in the sense of, it's literally nonsensical. So they talk about... Rob Liefeld is voted out of the company, but then they don't talk about him coming back, but they do talk about Alan Moore writing Supreme. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that one made me do a double take. I mean, there were a lot of double takes going on here, but yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's the wackiest fucking book. It's, yeah. it's so, so strange. Um, it, they're, they're, I can't even remember what it is now because I read it like a couple of weeks ago but there's definitely one part I remember reading and being like oh there's scores being settled here <laughs> like mm-hmm. like Valentino is clearly upset about something that happened 30 years ago still and felt the need to spend some time mentioning this well uh, yeah at, at, the, at, the, at the risk of um, Graham you were generous enough to read my tweet to you DM to you but I also said, so slipshod, it's little more than an ash can itself, like a love note Valentino put together for his best buddies from summer camp. Genuinely embarrassing. And I yeah, think there's something to that as well. That somehow also undersells it. 
<laughs> do you not know think? Uh, like, what do you mean? It's, well, it's, it, it's it's like a love note that I don't know. It's, a, it's let, like a let's love put note it this about, way. You know, Let me put together for some of his friends. Well, no, 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 no. Because I feel like he was. He, most of the people, even the people where he throws in there, there's a little bit of tweaking their nipples. You know what I mean? Like the way that you would raz your best friend, uh, like in a wedding speech kind of thing. Like it's so that. Like there I, it's, is, it's it's very in jokey. It's also super very like it's it's so skewed in the way that on some things it's completely like just the facts. And then it's like Marvel announces exclusive distribution with Heroes World distributors. The distributor war begin when DC had held Joe Pollard's panics and signed an exclusive deal with the Diamond Comics distributors. Really? It didn't start when Marvel went exclusive with Heroes World? Yeah, yeah. No, there's... Oh, so Paul Levitz the... panicked. Oh, did they they call Paul Levitz by name? Yeah, so there's Oh, yes, just... DC had held Joe Pollard's panics is actually mm-hmm. in there. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's... But, but also, um... Bob Liefeld's marriage gets a oh, mention. Yeah. It gets a it gets a mentioned and it gets photos and that's what I mean. There's <gasps> so, there's so many photos here. Like the thing that I think is uh, hilarious and sad and also shows l- let's put it this way. In a way it is remarkable to me that Valentino took the time to remove the names of the image employees um, from the indicia of his books during the vote, because there's an introduction here by Eric Stevenson, the publisher, in talking about meeting Jim Valentino in 1991, which is to say that he's around for 20 years of this. How many photos do you think there are of Eric Stevenson in this? Eric Stevenson is invisible. I don't know if you know that, Jeff. He just doesn't... Uh, yeah, photograph. he's like a vampire. He does not photograph, apparently. So the fact that no one... And I mean, I say no one, but the fact is Hank Canals occasionally, I think, pops up in like two photos. Larry Martyr uh, pops up maybe in one. But, but by and large, there is such an emphasis on, on what at one point uh, Valentino calls the sinister seven or something that he is just so high on the smell of his own farts and the self celebration of them. And this is the thing, even though it's larder and let me tell you, Valentino in his rush for people who are kind of curious, they're like, well, you know, Jeff and Graham talk about the fact that it's ugly, but what exactly do they mean? Well, let me tell you. Let's say that you had four hours to put together a PowerPoint about the history of Image Comics, <laughs> and you had access to the uh, comic book cover database, and you had a bunch of shit lying around in your garage, and you decided that you would then take your notes that you jotted in your PowerPoint presentation, hit the publish button that allows you to publish the slides next to the text of the notes. And that's what you're getting. Basically someone who was there at the founding of image cannot actually be bothered to talk about it other than in what feels like brief presentations next to 
endless covers of books, first from when they were publishing at Marvel, and then as they split into Image, and then as more people joined Image and were published by Image. And let me tell you, Warren Ellis may be a non-entity at Image after the whole hubbub, but he is dearly loved in the pages of the Image timeline. Oh, shit. He really is, isn't he? Yeah. The number Uh, of covers of his books. Yes, please. Can I tell you my favorite, like, no one proofread this, even though, like, Valentino in his introduction is like, I rewrote and reread this and everything for for the best part of a year. Yep. 2005, April, Four Letter Worlds anthology edited by Eric Stevenson features work by Matt Fraction and Jamie McKelvey, amongst others. Remember that? Mm -hmm. That first name of creator featured work yeah. by Matt Fraction and Jamie McKelvey. Yes, I caught that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, in June of 2006, Casanova issue one features both Matt Fraction and Gabriel Buzz's Image Comics debut. Yes. Maybe it's a different Matt Fraction. <laughs> Maybe it is. My favorite one, my favorite one is there's a page uh, July 3rd through 5th of, I don't know, you know, 1992. That is a story about the Chicago Comic Con. Um, told with Valentino. Where he talks about someone teaching kids to fart on the microphone. Todd Todd McFarlane. Some yes, exactly. Todd McFarlane uh, would entertain them by teaching the young Valentino kids how to make farting noises into a live mic. Some guy with a megaphone tells those waiting in line that they're being ripped off. No one is quite sure how Image is doing this exactly. Uh, Dale Keown is officially announced as the creator of Image's first non-founders book, The Pit. All founders are in attendance, save Jim Lee, who's awaiting the birth of his first child. Others behind the tables included Eric Silvestri, Marat Michaels, Brian Murray, Richard Horry, Dale Keown, and Don Simpson. Then it's got a page... Uh, well, sorry, that's the text on the left-hand uh, border, and then in the center, in purple is a variety of photos of the event as well as the movie poster as well as the um uh the I'm a Mi- image comics fan the promotional fans that were held out at the bottom underneath all these photos of very young image founders signing the books for very young um image comics buyers it says in memoriam Bevan Brown I'm like who is that is that the person that Valentino killed in the course of writing this like I'm like Who's Bevan Brown? I could look it up. I feel bad that I don't know. But how insane is it that you actually put in memoriam at a bottom of a page where, A, you don't include the person, you don't mention the person in any way. It's so uh, distressing, I guess. Um, yeah. What? I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to find out that um, I just literally looked this up while you and I were talking. Okay, good. Uh, and apparently, Ben Brown masterminded the image tent uh, for that year in the in the show. He masterminded the image tent. Why That's, couldn't you yes. have said that? Why didn't they? Yeah, why I, did I miss it? Did I, Graham? I didn't miss it, right? No, like, you, I, no, you didn't. No, you didn't miss it at all. I must try to find it when they died. <laughs> all right. Oh, I, I, apparently, he died in twenty fourteen. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, I mean, you know, bless him. But I really had that thing of like. But what? Like, I I just, and I mean, unsurprisingly, anything that gets uh, any kind of promotion or 
um like what was it there was there was one book where i was like you know they list the eisner award winners in fact uh they have cat salazar write a section that has summarizes a whole bunch of the awards which is funny because i found myself being like um i guess some of these people that they're not listing had it when they were being published elsewhere but like you know, a book that gets um, selected for an animated special for the Cartoon Network in 2012 is going to get a shout out. You know, it's kind of like the pages of the action figures where I'm like, I. It... Oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we should say. So uh, the actual timeline runs uh, 39 pages mm-hmm. of a 64 page book. Oof. And then you get, I mean, with the best one in the world, a lot of filler. And I don't mean the I don't even mean like the list of awards won by image comic creators, although there's like six or seven pages of that. Honestly, it's get, like, germane, right? It's germane to yeah, the issue, yeah. right? But then yeah. you do get like a double page spread of like statues followed by double page spread of toy packaging. Yeah. Right? You know? Like, like there's some wacky, wacky stuff filling out this book. Mm-hmm. And you know, honestly, the idea that this is eight dollars is kind of fucking nuts to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I... It feels like something that where a Marvel or a DC, this would be like a 99 cents, you know, or a freebie. I It's a totally – it's a freebie. It's a freebie. Image, as, as they point out, Image has done three in-house magazines throughout its years. And I have no doubt that every issue of that – was more professionally put together than this. And if it had been at this level, they would have been fired and quite possibly assaulted. Like this. <laughs> Don't hold back there, Jeff. This comic assaulted. makes it feel like Jim Valentino has not read a magazine or any form oh, of it, comics news like, publication since this, this is this is genuinely like a, an eight dollar comic uh graphic design is my passion joke. yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. no this 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 is this is this is the level of someone for whom they were like my nostalgia for the layouts of wizard magazine from 1997 is overwhelming me right now. Like, and honestly that's overselling it. It is, it is. I really did. I was like, I cannot believe the amount of money this is like, like you said, it should be a promo freebie. It should be for the fans. But of course this is exactly such a summary of what Image Comics is as far as at least one, and I think, frankly, all of the founders see it as, which is Image Comics is the seven of them. And everyone else, Eric Stevenson, that nameless, that faceless guy who doesn't even merit one picture despite being a publisher, he's lucky that his name gets mentioned as... You know, because they actually mentioned the publication of Nowhere Man as a debut, it it it's it all exists because of the largesse of the quote unquote Sinister Seven, those bad boys who are so fabulous, who so deserve to be celebrated that a sixty-four page 
horrifically designed onanistic celebration of them has to be eight dollars and i i mean oof honestly oof like the just it's oh i gotta tell you graham (laughs) so what you're saying is you loved it i'm saying i adored it I, I will say, if you are only learning about Image Comics history through this, you will wonder who Tony Twist is, why he sued Todd McFarlane, and why he won. Yeah. Because the lawsuit is mentioned. Tony Twist winning is mentioned. What the lawsuit is about is not mentioned. Yes. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I think Gaiman suing McFarlane is mentioned, but the outcome is never mentioned. Yeah. But I- thankfully, we do know... That on February 23rd, 2000, Todd McFarlane wins Best Short Form Grammy Video for co-directing Korn's Freaking Leash video. Right. Exactly. And that's it. Every award that they win, no matter how minor, like some of the shit that, some of the awards that by the time you get to page six of that list of awards is fucking great. Let me see if I can find it. I have to scroll through so much stuff. It is very, very... um, weird or for example like michael turner sues top cow over fathom ownership like i did he win that it doesn't say no i mean there's so much stuff that doesn't matter in 2014 uh, 2004 rather february 18th valentine was relieved of publishing duties is such an odd way of saying that yeah yeah no what happened yeah right also apparently all image introductory trades after april 2004 are priced 9.99 which is not true anymore like, mm-hmm. when did that stop? There's so much in here. So, so much, so much yeah. in here yeah. that is just mind-bending. They are, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm scrolling past the page. They are, in fact, called the Sinister Seven. Yeah, yeah. So, which, again, is just such a, like, if you have to give your little crew a nickname, like, and you're not 19 years old, it's just embarrassing you know like sure you got one now please before i forget everyone unfortunately this is where once again my lack of preparation has really doomed us um there is someone i follow on twitter that i clicked on a thing of theirs and it is literally (laughs) i know this fucking kills me I, i i just want to know where this is going what they did, Graham, was they actually scraped data um, from the comic book database and then published in GitHub an interactive image timeline that is visualized. Oh, wow. That you I'd love can to see that. Search by author. You can look at what years were being published, what issues were being published during what dates. So everything that you and I have sort of talked about that image sort of um booms and busts in various years and that happened before the walking dead and the image renaissance that then seemed to to run out of air like it is and this is why it kills me people please i beg you go to the show notes i will have the link graham i will send it to you i retweeted it of course because it's me i felt like it really didn't get the traction but it is it is a phenomenal piece of work that really is an image timeline that really is useful and 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 readable you know so and interactive 
So honestly, go find it and then send, uh, I think, Alain Ratui. I, it, it kills me that I still can't find his thing here. <laughs> um, send him um, the money. I... I, I want to uh, – well, first of all, I do genuinely – like I want more people to see this just because it's – it's like it's – it really is one of those things where in a weird way, if it, if he hadn't had an introduction saying he spent most of a year on this, I mm-hmm. wouldn't be harping on quite so much on how many things are wrong in it. Mm-hmm. But he does, and so I'm going to. Uh, apparently, uh, the old guard – by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez, became a Netflix series in 2020, not just a one-off film. Oh yes, you... right. Um, but but more importantly, um, November first, uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. Okay. After months of secret meetings, Image employees announced publicly their intention to form a union. As of this writing, no legal vote has been taken. Two things: one, months of secret meetings is yeah. genuinely great and paranoid. Like, yeah. really impressively paranoid. Yeah. Two, I love, with a passion I genuinely can't explain, that the word legal is misspelled. Oh, right! I did forget that. L-E-A-G-L. <laughs> I love that yep. so, 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 yeah, so much. Yep. So so much you, i can't tell you, you how you much just that. you can't you just can't overcome it the thing that's crazy is of course as of this writing no legal vote has been taken but it you know he does go on to mention other stuff out in the future like it's i'm just like yeah, but, i don't but, know but I, honestly like, i know of course for publication yeah. it's scheduled stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's 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 also like wonderfully hilarious that February 1st, a facsimile edition of Rob Liefeld's Profit Issue 1 is published bringing the image story full circle. How? Right. Profit Issue 1 wasn't Image's first comic. That was Youngblood Issue 1. Yeah, so exactly. Yep. How? 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 Yeah. Also, February 1st, Image Comics celebrates its 30th anniversary. The image, official Image timeline by co-founder and vice president Jim Valentine is published. The date wrong. Because oh the image God. timeline was published in February second. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's. I mean, people. I hope you understand just how much, by just how much we have talked about this book. Just listing things that are wrong with it. Um, it's. I mean, it's it genuinely something. I'm like. I hope a lot of people see it because I love the idea of a company putting out a timeline of their, their publications. I think I genuinely think that's a useful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, especially during an anniversary year. Great. Celebrate your past. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I've been rereading lately is we told you so the, the fans of graphics, oral history of fans of graphics, mm-hmm. right? That's great. It, it's skewed. Of course it's skewed, but they also don't gloss over the shit parts. Okay. Like, right. like the, it's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the official image timeline is a fucking mess, and honestly, it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, image can do better. There are really, really, really good people. At image who could have done that. Honestly, there's there's designers working with image that oh, I just definitely. wish I'd had mm-hmm. a chance to take a look and and been like, please don't do this. Right. 
it, yep. it is visually embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It's it's just holy fucking shit, Jeff. Yes, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It it is genuinely up. It's it's yeah. I've been pretty vituperative about it. Um. So yeah, let me just co-sign that. I co-sign it, Graham. <laughs> um, moving on to other image things. Ooh, yes. Now we get to talk about Geiger, 80-page giant, which people are like, ooh, now that he's warmed himself up. <laughs> oh, I, I, okay, I very quickly was going to say uh, I read the Maiden Korea collection uh, mm. this week. Uh, did you, do you know about Maiden Korea? Uh, I, saw, I saw it listed and did not pick it up, and I do not know about it. Um, it's, it's actually, a uh, I was going to say a lot of fun, which is not the right way of describing it. It's, it's a really interesting, ambitious, not entirely successful, but ambitious in a way that I kind of love, uh, science fiction story about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some really fucking clumsy things in there, but there's also things that I genuinely loved and thought were smart science fiction in a way that I want to see a lot more of in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for all that it is very clumsy about some things, uh, spoilers, there's like a school shooting subplot that is just fucking horrific. Hmm. Um, it's really sensitive about other things. Hmm. And on balance, I genuinely would recommend it for people who... Who hear like, you know, oh, it's an AI story that is, you know, literally the five minutes into the future sort of AI science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, I, I like that sort of shit. I would genuinely recommend Main Korea. I think it's actually on balance. It's on balance very good. Mm. It is deeply flawed in some areas. Like I said, the school shooting thing is just, just really awkward and you can tell their heart was in the right place but the execution is it's very clumsy Oof. um but but on balance like there's 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 something there and it's very much something that i was like oh i'm going to be paying attention to these creators again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I i i will you know knowing that the, these this came from these people i'm going to wait and see what they do next mm-hmm. uh so it was, it was a really nice treat it was a, a really nice surprise Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just to say, like, just for so I'm not being like, you know what, it sucks. Image Comics, no, main Korea came at me. <laughs> no, no, uh, which is which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and and now we can talk about the Geiger eighty page giant, which um, we talked about Geiger last time, didn't we? We did, and that's what sort of why I thought that it might be a a good idea to follow up because um, because you and I talked about Geiger Volume One, we were like what the hell, why, like, kind of like, why the hell did he sort of shoot his foot off uh, with turning his solo series into uh, essentially a Seven Soldiers-style interconnected main characters shared universe book series? Geiger, 80-page giant, sort of takes that and embellishes it a little bit with a opening story who is Redcoat by Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch introducing the next character in the Geigerverse and then the rest of the book is a collection of 
short stories and anthology series with different writers and artists about the um, largely hinted at, not widely discussed baddies of the Geigerverse. Um, and then a Junkyard Joe first look that is honestly just lazy ass recycling of shit that already appeared uh, in Geiger. So oh, I'm so glad you said that because I honestly was like, but we've like we've seen this before. Right? I, I I had this moment of like, am I imagining that I've read this? Right. Yeah. It's, no. it's in the Geiger collection, right? Uh, the majority of it is yes. Which is to say, the one little strip that he did, um, and then the. That what happened is they have original art and a little uh, Brian Cunningham introduction explaining the pitch of Junkyard Joe. It's very, very thrown together. And I have I to say... I something fell, fell through. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I, well, it, it's, it's not only do you get that, but you also get a reprinted timeline from the Geiger collection. Yes. Right? Yeah. So all told, it's like six pages of of oh yeah uh, of of like reprint filler. Yeah, out of an eighty-page giant uh, that is yeah. again like uh, eight bucks. You know, so it's it's a little like part of me is like, well, I suppose you could maybe say that this is an introduction if you haven't read Geiger. But if you if that's the case, then this is a an unbelievably shitty introduction to Geiger because it is. Yeah. If, if this is you being like, you know what? I want to get into Geiger. You're kind of fucked here. Yeah, exactly. You genuinely are like if yeah. this, this is not, uh, uh, a good introduction to Geiger or the Geiger verse or anything. It's, it's, uh, okay. Red, like, would you agree that you have absolutely no interest in Redcoat after reading who is Redcoat? You know what? The thing that I think is really funny is there is that um, <laughs> there is that double page splash of spoilers, everyone. And I'm sorry. After the incredibly pretentious Washington selling sailing the Delaware, um, and then they're going in and. <laughs> I want to know which of the two double page flashes you're talking about. Oh, it's it's just the one where George Washington casts a magic spell and knocks everyone on their ass. I thought was so fucking funny. <laughs> I about peed. And I really had a moment where I was like, yes, this is kind of like this I've is always so... wanted George Washington to be Doctor Strange. Oh my god, it's so fucking stupid. I fucking love that the that Jeff Johns even thought that that was a remotely good idea to do. And then and then it goes on with like, oh, the red coat who is this dude who, you know, you see at the very end of the little preview more or less killed by George Washington, um but obviously isn't immortal and doesn't die and runs into maybe another character in the Geigerverse who gives a shit. Uh like I had a little bit of the oh yeah Mark 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 Miller lives you know in a way <laughs> it, that it, I it, thought was it stupid is, and good. Redcoat is very uh, it's very Mark Miller esque, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Uh, which, which is funny because uh, the the Geiger shirt that follows, um, where did he get Barney? It's yes. like the most Jeff Johns thing in the world. Oh, 
it's... All, all it really all it really misses is someone's arm being pulled off because it is like eight pages of honestly nothing where did he get barney barney is his two-headed mutant dog right and the, where did he get Barney Short? Let's see. Th- two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It is. It's eight pages. Eight pages long. Yeah. Um, I'll spoil the answer for you. One sentence. He found him in a library. Yep. Oh, it takes eight pages to get there. Oh, dude. The best part is is then on the following page. In case you didn't understand the eight pages, one character tells the other character. You know. Yes. Like exactly. I'm like, ah. It, and it is – I mean, what I think is amazing is, is again, this this is this weird um, – this story so kind of summed up the missing the point ofness of Geiger, I guess, in, in eight concise pages. It asks a question that you never wondered about in the most perfunctory, boring way ever and then follows it up with a page of characters acting like it's interesting when it's not like every i swear <laughs> but, to god but everything even so, about it yeah even so jeff i still won't say that's still more interesting than all of the shorts that follow which is such a shame because there are some good creators in there but i feel like they're working with non-entities of characters and they you come know... up with stories that don't really exist I I am going to be more generous. I actually liked more of particularly the the first two stories that follow the Geiger where it's uh Pete Tomasi and I forget who's doing the art on it. Well it's Peter Snageberg, isn't it? Yes, Snageberg. Exactly. And it was very it was very nice to see them drawing again. I haven't seen their yeah. own fucking forever. Yeah, I and, and I actually really liked it. I liked that it had tone, it had a little bit of a twist, it had a thing. The Karloff by Sterling Gates and Kelly Jones has like I kind of found myself being like, Oh, this is this is kind of cool. Oh, I kind of get it. Like, I kind of get it. Like, maybe the story doesn't necessarily grab me, but I kind of had a, oh, I kind of want to see more. I kind of want to see more. I mean, it's really in a way. Yeah. And it's stupid. It is Car- Car- Karloff especially. Because, like, I, th- I think that the, the Safari Bill one or whatever it's called is, like, it's it's a future shock, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. You know, it's, 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 sure. a, it's an O'Henry story. You know, and right. that's and, and it's it's fine as an O'Henry story. And like I said, Peter Snatchberg or however right. you say his name. Like I genuinely right. was very happy to see his art again. Yeah. But the Karloff and again, I like Sterling Gates a bunch. Mm-hmm. But that that felt like it, there wasn't a story there. It felt well, like a, I mean, yeah. a six yeah, page tone mm-hmm. poem with Kelly <laughs> Kelly Jones drawing monsters. Well, I mean how do I put it? I guess that's all I needed, ultimately. And, you know, and that's it. Sometimes, how do I put it? In terms of when you have you when you have an anthology story, um, it's one thing. When you have an anthology story about, quote unquote, recurring characters, like, you know, the hubris of Jeff Johns kind of being like, yeah, here's my Geiger secret villains, you know, Geiger secret files. Yeah, secret files and origins. Right? And you're like... With characters you have, in many cases never seen before exactly have maybe heard one mention of tops and therefore you just don't you're not gonna be like oh 
I always kind of wondered what this killer croc guy is. Like, you know, like there's just something that's so prefabricated in. But how do I put it? For the most part, I felt that each of the creators managed to make me, with one or two exceptions that I'll let go unnamed, be like, oh, okay, I kind of get what what their what deal is, is. supposed yeah what their deal is or and this is just as i think important and kind of a secret ingredient of the secret files why i'm supposed to think they're cool you know and so i thought that there was a little bit of that not not huge amounts mind you don't don't get me wrong i'm not like this is the origin of marvel comics graham i don't know what you're talking about but it but at least oh my god if if you had said that i would have I it would have been great if I tried to kill you by saying that. That would have been like it, it for me to really say funny, that. Because also, I would have been like, "How do I just tell him he's wrong?" Like, yeah. How do I just like? How do I stop this before it goes too far? Well, I, I mean, honestly, Graham, I, I, you you should listen to the first ten minutes of the podcast and take tips from yourself because you had no hesitations about most of the stuff I was saying back then. You were so mean about WandaVision, I practically cried. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, Kyger 80 page giant is, uh, it's, wow. it's, a, it's a thing. It's a thing, ladies and gentlemen. I it's, actually yeah, liked it's... it a little more than Geiger, but that's again, once again, is damning with such faint praise. Um, let's, okay, let's stay on the image train some more uh, before yes. we actually properly wrap this episode up, which is, um, Noctera. Yes, I wanted you, 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 you recommended that I read Noctera based on our conversation with Geiger. Right. Um, and honestly, when you did, I kind of had this moment of, you know, why beyond the fact that they're both like image comics done by big name DC writers. And right. then I read Nocturne and I was like, oh, I fucking get it. Mm-hmm. In many respects, they're kind of the same comic, Jeff. Exactly right. Right. It's kind of crazy that way. They're so similar. Um and and yet weirdly like so much of the it's like if you fed Johns and Scott Snyder kind of the same vague writing prompt and watched them flesh it out in very different ways with very different I don't know ticks or obsessions or something like that so i'm really glad you yeah yeah it it, it's true like notera feels very much like a jeff johns comic i with a in a scott snyder comic rather Mm -hmm. in in a way like you can't imagine johns having done it you know it 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 feels so heavily snyder yes but i but i'm not sure that geiger necessarily feels fully like a jeff johns comic in the same way you know what i agree with you I agree with you. Like Snyder's Nocterra is very much Snyder and Tony yes. Daniel, but yeah, Geiger feels like Ge- Jeff Johns. Geiger feels like a... all the worst parts of Johns. I mean, like the worst part of John, like, but also, and yes, if you include that the worst part of Johns is kind of a strange um, dashing it off for the paycheck kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I was going to I was going to say that there's a, a tendency for to to lean into uh, sentiment and cliche simultaneously, mm-hmm. uh, which I think he gets away with with his superhero work because we already have an emotional connection with him. Right, right, yeah, right. As, as and we and we're talking when about. it's brand new, mm-hmm. when it's brand new characters, we're just like, oh shit, why are you doing that? 
You know, like there's no there there. He will he will lean towards sentiment as opposed to character. I think, given the opportunity, and right. you can do that when you know the characters and when you don't know the characters and the characters are brand new. You're just very aware of like, well, shit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Almost. Almost. Um, with the idea that sentimentality, if you define it as unearned emotion, um, you know, it lends itself very well to characters that you're already emotionally invested in. You know. Um, but yeah, exactly. You, when you don't have that emotional investment, it feels, you see how unearned it is and you, you just kind of feel that weird collapsing vacuum, like absence of what you know is supposed to be there. But again, like I said, that like, where did Barney come from has such a strange, um, I don't know. It just, it, it, it felt, uh, it just did not feel good, I guess. Now, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's yeah, uh, the interesting thing about Noctara is there's a lot of things that I do like about it. Uh, I do. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, goofy thing. It's not perfect. Um, is I no, kind no, it's of, not. <laughs> no, it is not. I feel that Snyder. The the flip side of it is I feel like Snyder is semi stuck in a rut. Uh, and I think Noctera really underlines that, you know, I feel kind of like sort of the same way that you said that John's, at least when we were talking about Geiger, suggesting that John's more or less did not walk out of Doomsday Clock unscathed in that reading a lot of Alan Moore and thinking that it was great to tell stories like Alan Moore was like one of the worst things that could have happened to John's. While I don't think it's quite as bad as that, I feel that Snyder has been stuck in a, the apocalypse has already happened. And now our characters have one last chance before everything gets wiped out forever. Um, has feels like more or less the last three or four of his series. You know what yes. I mean? Like yes. kind of in a row. And so, so one of the things that I think is rough for me about Noctera is, is that it also in its own strange way, uh, because it feels similarly on autopilot in a way that John's work can. Um, it's harder to find the the sense that the, um, the emotion is unearned because, you know, I think Snyder's whole gig is, for lack of a better term, um, enthusiastic youth pastor who's into heavy metal. You know what I mean? And so there, all of that is all about every stage of that is all about conviction and sincerity but but it's also because it's sort of retread in the exact same tone it starts feeling a little rut like and i felt that yeah, way no, particularly that, 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 yeah that makes sense to me yeah because noctera 7 came out uh this week uh, and i picked it up and i was like oh hey like this weird mix of like Oh, I kind of like this. I kind of like what they're doing. I like how he's progressed the characters 
in a tiny but incrementally kind of important sort of way how he sets up his second arc or whatever with the stakes and everything. And yet at the same time, I also uh, just found myself like kind of a little breezily bored. And again, that because of those things that I feel like I suspect, but I also feel like Snyder, I think really needs to, um, in a way, I sort of feel like when he was working on Batman with Capullo, he kind of didn't like he had different things that I guess he was trying to explore with Batman, I guess, and looking at different facets of it. And so at least it sort of felt like you were sort of maybe getting different stories, you know, but uh, like I said, I just sort of feel like it's sort of a thing. That being said, I'm so glad you read Noctara. It sounds like you weren't in love with it, but you did. I'm so glad you at least saw my point, but did you, I, I, I was, I, I in love with it would be very strong. Yes. I, however, appreciated it far more than it did Geiger. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, good. I agree mm-hmm. with you that I think it, Snyder is weirdly uh, – suck is not right, but, like, fascinated by the idea of, like, post-apocalypse uh, – post-apocalypse as an event that has – is a narrative black hole. Mm-hmm. Right, it is behind you, yet you can't escape it. Right, right. All of, like you know, Death Metal, Noctera, um, uh, Undiscovered Country. His is that what it's called? Last Undiscovered Night on Country? Earth. Yeah, Undiscovered Country. Batman Last Night on <laughs> um, Earth. You know, uh, like all of these things have mm-hmm. are post-apocalyptic. Like literally, by definition, this, this terrible yeah. thing has happened, and this is what happens afterwards. But yep. all of them are actually just telling the story of this void that happened before. Mm-hmm. Right, he's he's he is. It's it's a weird thing for him to continually, for want of a better way of putting it, tell the same story because the story isn't the apocalypse. The story isn't uh, what happens afterwards. Even the story is right. that people can't escape it. Right, right. Well, it feels, right. It feels in mm-hmm. a weird way like like Snyder is continually telling a story about people who cannot actually process trauma and are stuck in the idea of well they can resolve it they can they can they, not even resolve it they can solve it they they can they can make up for it right yeah There's one action that will fix things and it's odd to see that just continually recur well because i think and and i could be wrong but i feel like snyder and this is one of the reasons why i always have a lot of time for the dude is I really do very strongly believe that the whole apocalypse and post-apocalypse thing is very much him talking about living with depression, you know? And I feel like so much of his stuff is like, okay, this is this is my metaphor for it. Like, this thing has happened. You cannot change it. You are depressed. Everything feels hopeless. How do you manage to find the hope in what is hopeless? And I feel like that is, it, it, that's his ongoing theme. And I sort of, I think he's refined that, but I don't, and I don't know if he can find a way past I, it. You know, I yeah. don't think you're wrong, but I think that all of the stories are about people trying to, 
not trying to live with it, but trying to undo it. They're all about right. quests about trying to un like unmake it. Unmake yeah. the apocalypse. Right. Right? The apocalypse is is not just an event. The apocalypse is a question. And these people are looking for the answer. You know? Uh, it's, yeah. it's like because the, the narrative engines of all these stories are the same as well, which is the apocalypse is an unknown event. Mm-hmm. That like the characters either know and they're not telling the readers, or the characters don't know and we, the reader, are finding out at the same time. And they're right. all mystery boxes. Yeah. Right? But they're mystery boxes driven by someone who is trying to undo it. So I don't I don't think True. you're necessarily wrong, right? But right. it's also a really strange thing if it is him writing about depression, that mm-hmm. he's continually writing from the point of view of, I don't know what happened, but I can fix it. Well, so I I would say that that part is his narrative hook. And I don't follow Undiscovered Country, but I think for the most part, the reason why that part is the part where, again, my, my belief is, is that he's like, okay, when you have depression, you spend ridiculous parts tremendous parts of your life trying to understand why you're depressed and trying to undo the depression and at every stage and i think something like death metal really kind of lays this out pretty clearly every step that you do to undo the depression makes the depression worse and so essentially what has to happen at least from the snyder stories that i've read and i've not read all of them is you have to learn how to live with the situation that has happened. Not that you undo it, but that you tap into the positive energies or understand that it is an energy source within it and that you channel that into the things that matter, that are important that are the things that you are compelled to ignore in the face of of fixating on your depression and and making them the priority and taking the energy and investing from it so it's a it's a it's an integration thing but it always starts with a how do i undo this and what happens is again like i said there's that never really seems to happen what you get is it's happened now you have to figure out you ha you you are usually someone brings you or shows you through all of your striving you get to the final level, which is understanding um how the most important part is is living beyond it so like I said, I feel like that is the template, and then I feel like he almost can't quite get out of that template yet so it, it makes me wonder because i i'll be honest i've not kept up with his comicsology books mm, mm, but like i have seven yeah seven of mm-hmm. them right like yeah are, they're they all are they all working in that story because it because i suspect they're not no and, they you know, they it makes, are makes not me very curious to see what he's doing there right um night of the ghoul is different but falls into pieces of that template in the sense of you've got someone who's super fixated on a a mystical film fragment that was rumored to be legend and this 
film scholar has uncovered pieces of the copy and has even discovered that the filmmaker who everyone believes is dead is is in fact been institutionalized in an asylum and he goes in to visit him and and things end up being far worse than than he could have ever imagined and of course he drags his own son into that um uh we have demons is is kind of different it's a it's a battle against despair definitely in that stuff and in the idea of of finding the belief in family and in positive beliefs and in embracing yourself instead of embracing despair but instead of it being like the apocalypse has already happened it's very much a case of the best person the best hero has more or less already died and it's kind kind of a legacy book there's a certain degree of legacy stuff going on and then clear has a murder mystery set in a post apocalypse it's you know um ongoing uh riff of people being utterly immersed in virtual reality and a private detective trying to track down the the murderer of his ex-wife um and within those trappings there is just a ton of stuff that is very much about again personal responsibility family like embracing the things that were given you as a way to move forward through the things and etc etc so yeah not not quite as staple gun not into not the, the same template. thing but also not different things yeah not different things i think really at all and which i on the one hand you know there's that old saw about how writers tend to write the same book over and over and over again and i think that that could well end up being snyder um i'll just be curious like part of me wonders if and how he's going to change that again because i feel like his his youth pastor the cool youth pastor um shape of snyder is i think kind of one that can be a little hard to change up because without without really risking giving into genuine nihilism so i don't know i think it's kind of a holy shit graham we've been talking for close to two hours again jesus god <laughs> Did you just realize that? I just did. I just looked down at the clock because the pug walked that, in, that was, and I that was, was like, "Amazing!" I yeah. genuinely love that. That's how that finished. <laughs> we, should, we genuinely should start wrapping up for real. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. We, we had like a packed episode this time. Yeah, it was pretty dense. Like we didn't normally. There's a certain amount of like, you know, how's the weather up there? Let me tell you, my yeah, rheumatism you know, like, has like, been how, acting how up. We, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and this time I was just like, nope. We're fucking going right from um, the get go. We are uh, okay. I'm going to just start wrapping up. Then there's going to be show notes for this episode up at waitwhatpodcasts.com. Uh, probably by the time you're listening to this, um, we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazy bassid at l a z y b a s t i d. I have a Twitter account at graham m g r a e m e m, and we have a Patreon that Jeff is going to talk about right now. And for once, I'm not going to interrupt her or anything. Oh, my God. That is so great. I Thank you, Graham. I got to admit, 
I hope that you get to the part, I mean, we'll see if you ever undo your special finishing move, which is um, when we do a drock and you mention Patreon and then you tell the listeners that they're listening to a bonus episode because of Patreon and then I'm supposed to do that. Uh, well, hey, what's up with this? Um, hmm. uh, okay, sorry. The the little piece where I keep my notes, like, same by same, like, is being kind of a dick. Listeners, you are great. We are genuinely so appreciative of you and your, um, listening to us, enabling us, if you will, uh, to use the, the parlance of the times, um, such that we can uh, talk to one another about all of this stuff, say things that we think are interesting and important or just the opposite, and that we can then put that out in the world. And you guys also have uh, opinions about it, have things that you agree or disagree with. Uh, In addition, the lovely people at Patreon throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh. I actually had some extra time this week and posted some things to the Patreon, which has been the first time in a very long time that I did. And I actually ran a poll, which is ongoing. Uh, If you are on the Patreon and you want to put in your two cents about what, if anything, I should do, what your preference might be if we were to do more, if we need to do more to, to keep you interested and or... Uh, engaged. Uh, most of the responses have been, unsurprisingly, as it's the word that I use, incredibly generous. Um, as a sidebar, in the interest of generosity, I do want to mention um, for people who are interested in manga and are kind of interested in being able to ex- access it in a way that is legit but is also uh, inexpensive. Uh, Shuyashia is probably a huge mangling of that. Um, the just absolutely ginormous manga publisher in Japan that publishes uh, most of the titles that end up on the Shonen Jump app. Um, they have their own app called Manga Plus, which is more or less manga for... Uh, the rest of the world in the sense that the Shonen Jump model of releasing English language manga day and date so as to wean people off of the piracy sites is apparently either successful or worth investing enough that uh, the Manga Plus app and or website um, allows you to read titles day and date as they come out. My understanding, and I could be wrong, is they do not have the amazingly great option that Shonen Jump does of letting you pay a mere pittance, two or three dollars a month, to have access to the bulk of the previous chapters um, such that you can read through an entire series. The Manga Plus app was, at my understanding, only day and date, However, for their third year anniversary, for the entire year of 2022, they allow you to read in the app all the chapters for free of the manga that they 
are currently publishing. So there's a little bit of a catch-22 for things that I love, like Haikyuu, the amazing volleyball manga, or Bakuman, the uh, fabulous long-running manga about two manga creators. You cannot read those for free in the Manga Plus app. However, One Piece, which is the world's most popular manga and is... I think a thousand chapters long or however the hell it runs uh, is all available for free and will be for the full year. There's catches. You have to use the app. You can only read one chapter once, but if you are interested in really seeing the breadth of um, a certain slice of manga, which is to say that the majority of what Shuyusia publishes is the stuff that ends up in Shonen Jump. So by and large, it's, uh, for lack of a better term, um, stuff that amuses teen boys. But because of the miracle of manga, a lot of that has a lot of crossover appeal. I totally recommend um, that you guys uh, look into it, since, like I said, it is free. I wrote a post about it where I just shouted out a couple of uh, series. I have a series that I've been reading and enjoying. I pray to God Graham didn't see it because I want it to be one of the uh, next installment of my four manga, which will be coming up in our next Wait What episode. And so thank you. Find people on Patreon, our listeners, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, who as far as I know does not read manga, but does throw a continuous support to this podcast as well as protecting the cosmos which if you think about it is a form of supporting manga uh in her own way so thank you audrey graham all of that was amazing i had to stop myself interrupting which is really (laughs) a sign of showing just how much i do interrupt but you know, we're, I'm learning. I'm, I'm trying to get better. I'm wow, that counts. that's I'm touched. <laughs> we are going to be back next week with uh, Drock. We're doing uh, yes. Tried, case files thirty-two. Um, but uh, we're doing a regular way about the week after that. So think about it. February's just fucking full of us. That yes, you know, sorry or congratulations. Not sure which is really more. Until next week, when we're talking about Judge Dredd a lot. Jeff, is there anything you want to say before I sing us out? No, my goodness, Graham, please do. Bye!